0: Do you like true crime mixed with dark humor, angry rants, and hot takes?
1: Then why aren't you listening to Fatal Tales? I'm Katie. I'm Azra, and we cover all sorts of true crime cases, as well as
0: weird, evil, and downright fatal stories in our Tiny Tales episodes. If all that sounds great to you, make sure to listen to Fatal Tales wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And remember, be gay and don't do crimes.
0: Or at least, don't get caught.
1: The Stuff of Nightmares.
0: Hey, what's happening everybody? My name is Rick, and I'll be your guide on this little journey to get your true crime and paranormal fix. We'll be talking about everything from monsters in the closets, to monsters next door. So make sure you keep an eye on your neighbor, you look under your bed, you check your closets, Because the stuff of nightmares starts now. Hey everybody, this episode is going to be a little different than normal. I actually got a chance to sit down and talk to Sanjay Singhal. He's an architect, an author, and a paranormal enthusiast. He's going to tell us about his new book and tell us about some of the experiences that he's documented throughout his life. I hope you enjoy it. Every day, people all over the world encounter things they cannot explain, things that terrify them and things that defy logic. But not everything can be rationalized. Not everything has a logical explanation. Not everything can be proven by science. In fact, according to Dr. Ethan Seigel, when it comes to science, proving anything is an impossibility. It is a theory based on a lot of evidence to validate a specific idea over a period of time. He states, nothing in science can ever truly be proven. It's always subject to revision. If that in fact is the case, why are some people so skeptical of things that cannot be explained? Over the years, dozens of plant and animals thought to be extinct have been identified. Just last year alone, California Academy of Science researchers discovered 71 new animal and plant species. So is it out of the realm of possibility that people are seeing cryptids, UFOs, ghosts, and Bigfoot? To those that have seen or experienced these unknown phenomena, it is real and terrifying. Many choose to keep their experiences to themselves for fear of being ridiculed or ostracized. Many are looking for validation from others to ensure that what they saw or experienced was truly real and not just in their head. And then there are those that know what they experienced and want to help others by sharing their experiences. These are their stories. Hey everybody, today's episode of the Stuff of Nightmares podcast, I am happy to announce we have an architect, an author, paranormal investigator, and enthusiast, Sanjay Singhal. Hey Sanjay, how you doing? Good. How are you, Rick? I'm doing good. You want to give us a little bit of info about
1: yourself? Uh, sure, sure. Uh, first, let me say I'm, I'm really uh, delighted to be here and talking with you today. This is uh, really exciting. And I am, as uh, you've just said, an architect, an author, uh, an aspiring chef, which um, I'm not sure how good a chef I am, but I, I eat it. So I guess that's a good thing. And uh, a paranormal investigator. A researcher, enthusiast, uh, what have you. I'm also an artist and uh, do a lot of drawings and sketches and so on and so forth like that. Uh, but I think today what we're going to talk about uh, mostly is a variety of different topics and uh, one thing I do want to mention though is that I do have a new book coming out in March of this year and just hopefully a couple of weeks And uh, this is uh, a new collection of short stories, uh, which I am very, very excited about. And we can talk about that um, a little little later on into the podcast.
0: Sounds good. So I noticed one of the books that you've written is actually really pretty cool. It's a coloring book. You want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: (laughs) Yes, it's a Bigfoot ABC. And uh, I, you know, coloring books for adults are kind of, you know all the rage or have been for a while and I thought you know wouldn't it be fun to have a Bigfoot coloring book for people and so I created all these uh, sketches and uh, coloring designs and put them into a book and then I thought you know maybe we need to make this a little bit more in depth and, and let's make this a Bigfoot ABC uh, because there are so many names for this creature and so many uh, words for this creature, not only across North America, but around the world. And wouldn't it be great to at least explore some of those and make this a little bit more educational, not only for uh, kids, but also for us us grownups. And uh, it's uh, been a tremendous success and has sold uh, quite well. And I'm, I'm really, I'm really pleased with it.
0: That's awesome. That, that was the first one that popped up when I started researching your books and stuff. And I laughed. I'm like, that is awesome. Because again, you're not just, you know, with the paranormal, the cryptid enthusiasts. Now you're actually putting it out there for kids to say, hey, there's things out there that we can't explain. There's things out there that science has yet to explain. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a great thing.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, you know and I've noticed to it at conferences and at gatherings kids love this stuff. They, they get so excited. You know, oh, I want to go see a Bigfoot. I want to go find a Bigfoot. And most of the time I, I tell their parents, you know, please don't let your kid go alone. <laughs> you know, it's it's great that they're excited. It's great they want to do this. But I thought this this is a safer way for kids to learn about this creature uh, without going into the woods, because um, you, you never know what might happen. And you know, we've heard too many horror stories already. So I thought this was a great way for kids to learn, you know, at least at home, you know, versus out in the woods. Absolutely. So how
0: many books have
1: you written? Oh boy. (laughs) Let's, I'm trying to count here. At least seven or eight, probably uh, that I can think of right now.
0: And where can people find your books? Uh, These
1: can all be found on amazon.com if you just uh, go to amazon and put my name in uh, the books uh, should all come up and uh, they're all for sale at uh, very reasonable prices well two of them are out of print now but all the rest are readily available and you can purchase them in kindle format and in paperback
0: nice so did you want to go through and tell us a little bit like something about one of your books and tell us a story from it
1: uh sure let me uh let me talk about uh the 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 book that I published in 2016 and this is called Tales of the Night Watchman and this is uh a collection of short stories and they are somewhat supernatural in uh scope they're not ghost stories per se but uh, they do have ghosts in them there's uh, one description of it is sort of uh, supernatural horror fiction i guess you could say and some of them are based on true experiences and others are completely fictional and uh, I had a lot of fun writing it, and it was very well received. Uh, one of the stories, uh, which was actually inspired by a Bigfoot encounter in northern Michigan, and it's um, a young man who goes into the woods with a revolver, and um, he is in a pretty bad place and is in, has every intention of committing suicide. In the woods and a creature comes along and has a conversation with him and i'm not going to tell you the ending of the story because uh, everyone who's read it has had a different interpretation of it which i uh, really enjoy and uh, but it, it's one of my favorite stories from this book
0: okay now you say um is that one you say it's based on an actual event can you yes. give us a little more information
1: on the actual event Sure, I, mean, right. I mean I'm happy yeah okay yeah and this is and this is a documented field report I there's my longest running investigation site in northern Michigan is a place I call excuse me area D and the D does mean something I can't uh, tell you that uh, on the air unfortunately but uh, I have been investigating there since I I want to say 2008 and have uh, made quite a bit of progress there. There is a resident Bigfoot at this location. I have photographed him, and if you go on my Twitter page, you'll see the photograph. And uh, his name, or I call him Sable, and he likes golden delicious apples. He does not like red ones. He does not like green ones. He likes the golden delicious apples. If And if you leave the other kind, he will uh, smash them and not take them. Anyway, but one of my first introductions to Sable, and I still don't know that this was him. I had uh, arrived at Area D alone, and it was very early in the morning, and I'd climbed up to the top of a hill, and there was a wide clearing there and a a fallen log. And I'd taken a seat on the log. I was documenting uh, quite a few branch assemblies, which I had observed in this area, and a large nest assembly, and I was studying their positions because they're all aligned with each other, and suddenly I heard, in the woods got suddenly very quiet, it got very quiet. As you know, Rick, as a Bigfoot person, there's always that moment where things suddenly go quiet, and I realized I was not alone. I looked around, didn't see anything, and suddenly heard this huge stump. Uh, just to the west and realized that something was coming towards me. I uh, actually became quite frightened because I did not know how big this thing was, and it continued coming closer. I could actually see it moving through the trees or through the brush, and it stopped about 20 to 30 yards away from me and started shaking a branch. And then the branch uh, came crashing to the ground. And at that point I realized I probably needed it to not be there. So I left <laughs> and I actually, I called out to it and I said, Hey, I'm leaving. You know, thanks. Um, sorry to, to bother you. Um, I'll, I'll talk to you later. You know, take care. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think I probably would have left as well.
1: But you know, the interesting about this is the next time I went back there, I made sure I brought apples. And and this is how I discovered which type of apple he liked.
0: So you basically have a giving area for
1: him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, where uh, sable the spot where sable is usually to be found. Uh, there's a number of saplings in, in you know in the woods there. And I'll typically sort of arch one over, tie the bag of apples up to it, and and there's there's the gift. And I always give him a dozen gold delicious apples and if I go back the next day or two days later I'll find that the underside of the bag has been slit open and two or three of the apples have been removed and then eventually all the the apples disappear and the bag disappears Uh, so so, someone's certainly taken them and someone's taken the bag down which uh, is very interesting
0: Now just out of curiosity because I've heard before that you know, sometimes they will take things, but they will also leave things. Has mm-hmm. he ever left it, or she ever left anything
1: for you? Uh, actually, Sable is a male. I, I, I'm fairly certain he isn't a male. He has not. I, at least not that I have noticed. If a gift has been left, I've never seen it. But, you know, for me, the gift is being able to interact with him. And to, you know, be in the woods with him and to within, you know, 20 yards of him. You know, for me, that's the most incredible gift you could ever ask for.
0: Absolutely. And has he ever done anything that has frightened you to where you wanted to run out of there and not just kind of like turn around and walk away?
1: No, I don't... You know, well, I don't know if this was him or not. There was... There have been episodes at Area D where something clearly did not want us there, and one of, one of the most frightening was, again, a very early morning uh, investigation. I'd gotten there probably between 6.30 and 7 a.m., so the sun was just starting to come up. It was very, very dark, and I was set off on the trail, again, alone, like an idiot, and had my had a very good camera with me. There was an unusual branch assembly right at the head of the trail and i uh, went to take a picture of it and did not realize the flash setting was on the flash went off and as you can imagine in the darkness in the woods it just was this huge burst of light and (laughs) all around me the woods came to life I I woke something up and it was not happy. It was stomping back and forth and throwing rocks at me onto the trail. And for a moment, I was actually quite nervous because it was between me and the car. And I thought if this could get very dangerous very quickly, you know, it's still dark out, this thing's mad. And here I am taking pictures of it or trying to take pictures of the woods with a flash setting on my camera so what did i do i took more pictures with the flash setting on my camera because i thought if it's moving around i might i might get a picture of
0: it. well either that or it gave you a chance to get away because you blind it
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's sort of like that scene in the Hitchcock film Rear Window. You know where uh, Raymond Burr comes in the apartment, and Jimmy Stewart's got his camera with the flash bulb on it, and he blinds Raymond Burr so he can't, you know, get close to him. So sort of that—that uh, that was the logic going through my head, right? There.
0: <laughs> I can understand that. So just so the listeners understand and know what kind of large animals are in the area. You're Northern Michigan, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. So what kind of animals are there? Bears and stuff there? I mean, obviously, they don't have, they they don't throw rocks. So that rules them out for that. But just so they have an idea of what other animals are in the area.
1: Oh, sure, sure. There are, there is black bear. um, And that I have documented black bear tracks um, at Area D. And there is a uh, cougar. I've documented cougar tracks there with my colleague. Um, and I've also, obviously, deer, uh, wolverine, we have documented wolverine tracks there. There's still some uh, discussion about those because half the people I show them to say, nope, that's a wolf. The other half say, nope, that's a wolverine. So uh, I'm inclined to think it's a, wol- a wolverine because it's got five claws, not four obviously a gray wolf we have there. And, uh, I don't think we have Bobcats. I I'm, I'm not aware of Bobcat in Michigan, but, uh, I've been wrong before, but yeah, the, the big predator is definitely black bear and cougar are definitely present there.
0: Gotcha. Good. So do you want to go ahead and tell us about another, you know, experience that you've had, whether it's from the same book or another book or
1: Uh, Sure, well, yeah, let's talk about uh, uh, the the book that preceded Tales of the Night Watchman* is actually called The Undiscovered Country. And that took its title from Hamlet, of course, uh, from his soliloquy, and it's always resonated with me. And uh, this is a book about my life in northern Michigan. My travels there, and and I lived there for a time and this uh it's again it's it's much more of a memoir but there are aspects of it uh that are uh, somewhat paranormal and one of those is uh i had a really beautiful uh uh, apartment where i lived and in a beautiful fenced-in yard and uh one winter morning i woke up and looked outside and you know beautiful clean white snow drifts and and just you know that gorgeous winter landscape you always you know dream about and uh, went had my coffee had my breakfast went off to the grocery store uh, came back maybe 45 minutes later an hour later and looked out the window and there was a line of enormous huge tracks footprints marching through the backyard, yard, uh, all in a straight line, uh, one after the other, clearly left, right, left, right. But they stopped and started in the middle of nowhere. Uh, they started in the middle of the garden. They ended in the middle of the garden with, with no reasonable distance for leaving the yard whatsoever. So... In your opinion, what do you feel Bigfoot
0: is? Do you feel that it is a flesh and blood animal? Do you feel it is a dimensional
1: animal? I, You know, that that's a great question. I, I am really inclined to believe that, that it is a dimensional creature. And the reason I say that is I, I've had so many experiences of this thing where it did not make sense for it as a physical creature. And, the, the, and with, I've had enough experiences where I've observed it behaving and appearing in a fashion that was completely not physical. So, and I, I'm, I'm really uh, inclined to agree with the perspective of many of the indigenous peoples of this continent, uh, including the Lakota, where I grew up, who firmly believe that it is a dimensional creature. He is a spiritual being. And he manifests physically when it is appropriate for him to uh, speak to us or to present a message. And in their uh, belief system, if you see this creature, uh, Tonka as he's called, uh, he is there for a reason. He, he's there to, to bring a message to you from the Great Spirit. So is he like a protector? He's, well, in the, in the Lakota world, I don't believe he's a protector. I know in the Odawa uh, belief system, which is the indigenous peoples of northern Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, and sometimes referred to as Potawatomi, uh, their name for him is Vogue Janini and he he's a sort of protector guardian type creature he follows man around he keeps an eye on him but again like the Lakota he's not to be approached uh he he's there because the great spirit has put him there and that's and we're not we're not really supposed to go talk to him
0: so there are people that believe you know they see a UFL. And they also have experiences with Bigfoot around the same time. What is your mm-hmm. feeling on that?
1: I, I I think that is a fascinating behavior, and I would I would personally like to know more. Uh, I have had several conversations with Stan Gordon, who is the, a researcher in Pennsylvania, and I'm sure you know I'm sure you know who he is, uh, Rick. Uh, wonderful man, wonderful scope of it investigations across the state and he has documented several cases where a Bigfoot has been seen in conjunction with the UFO or some type of flying craft and there are cases where it's gone into the craft and left or it's come out of the craft and approached someone I I think it's a fascinating uh, conjunction I, I don't know what to make of it I've certainly not experienced it myself but in this, you know, when you step into the unknown, literally anything is possible. So why wouldn't it be possible for this to be some type of alien creature? Absolutely. There's really
0: no there's really no way to put what it is until we actually have a physical specimen that we can actually do testing and stuff on to determine what it is. Correct. Yes, I agree
1: with you all right how about another story from your newer book well sure let's talk about the book Uh, the new book which is coming out uh, hopefully you know knock on wood here in a couple of weeks is called stories i never told you and this is actually a collection of quite a few stories which i've been working on for a long time the uh title is a reference to uh my my friend Joshua, who died in 2015, and who loved to hear all my stories. And I would send him the draft, he'd read them, and then we'd discuss them for hours. So these are all the stories I wrote after he died. I'm sorry, that's why the book is called Stories I Never Told. Uh, They're much more spiritual in nature. Uh, They're much more reflective. Uh, They're really stories about faith and friendship and but they're also about healing and moving forward through grief and death and loss and finding uh, solace and hope in one's faith and one's god i think one of my favorite stories in this book is actually a story this is a story called uh, there's a story in here called access and it's a, it's a true story in part, uh, most, uh, it's, uh, uh, how do I say this? The ending is slightly different than what really happened, but for the most part, this is a true story. And I was at a art gallery or an art exhibition with clients, and we were looking at a bunch of, uh, you know, the art, you know, and the people. And if you've ever been to an art opening, it's the people watching is is incredibly fun because there's just so many different types and so many different stereotypes and they all do exactly the same thing and they always serve the same horrible white wine. I mean, it's just vile. Anyway, there was a display of video screens and of a young man running on a beach and there was a man sitting there watching them who was in a wheelchair. And I didn't, it took me a minute to realize that the man running on the beach was the man in the wheelchair, and he'd uh, had a horrible accident and been paralyzed from the waist down. And he asked, and I—he backed up his chair and bumped into me, and I apologized for being in his way, and we got into a very loud argument. And uh, he—you you could tell that looking at this this series of films was very painful to him, and. I, I remember saying to him, I know I'm only a stranger, but I am truly so sorry. And he didn't take that well. He said, yeah, everybody's sorry. You know, everybody's sorry about this, but I'm the one who has to sit in this chair and use this chair. And you know, what do you think I am? And I just said, yeah, what, what do you say to someone like that? What, what do you say? How do you say it? that's meaningful? you know, or special or different. And I realized I could not say anything further than I was truly sorry. And he asked me to help him go to the bathroom. And, um, you know, a person in a wheelchair, and and I know this because I'm an architect and I've done this and I have had to do this. You know, designing an accessible toilet is one thing. Using an accessible toilet is another. You have to back the chair into the stall You have to lower the armrests. You have to transfer your body to the toilet. And it's extremely difficult. It's extremely humiliating. I, I actually did it once. I put myself in a wheelchair and tried to use the toilet. And to this day, I remember thinking, Oh God, help me. If I ever have to do this for in real life. And so I helped him into the stall and I said, do you need me to help you, you know, move, position yourself? And he said, no, I can take it from here. So I stepped back and I was sort of just standing in the, in the in the men's room. And suddenly there was this commotion in the stall and he dropped something. And it went flying across the floor and I realized it was a pistol. And I picked it up and i just sort of held it away from my body you know i just as you know as you know with guns you just you don't point them at anything so i just pointed it into the corner i was really beside myself and he said give me that and i said no i'm not giving this to you and uh, we got into a huge argument um, and and i realized he was planning to use that pistol in that toilet stall and uh I said, I can't give this to you. And we got it again, just a lot of, uh, it's amazing how well you can cuss when no one's around to hear you. And uh, eventually I did go back in the stall and he was sitting there and uh, he'd been crying. And somehow or the other, we found a common language and we were able to share that language. Uh, He asked me to give him the gun And I quoted a line from one of my favorite poems uh, by Harold Monroe, uh, overheard on a salt marsh. And I said from the poem, hush, I stole them out of the moon. And he looked at me and he said, what did you say? And I said, hush, I stole them out of the moon. And so we recited the poem together and then we talked about a short story that I believe was published in the late sixties, uh, by a woman named Dorothy Gilman Butters. And the story is called sorrow rides a fast horse. And as we continued talking, we, this, what we found this common language that we could talk about literature and we could communicate through literature and we ended. I I remember this, he asked me and he said, do you like Winnie the Pooh? And I said, yes. I I love the Winnie the Pooh stories. They're they're my favorites. And he said, would you play Pooh Sticks with me? And I said, yes, I will. And uh, that's, that's one of the stories from the new book. So you'll have to forgive me. I'm not sure what Pooh Sticks is. Okay, it's a game invented by Winnie the Pooh and Christopher Robin. And if you're on a footbridge over a stream, you everybody grabs a stick and you drop it in on one side and upstream, of course, and then you see which stick emerges first on the other side of the footbridge. And it's, it's great fun if, if you're a kid. And it's great fun if you're an adult who wants to be a kid.
0: Which we all do.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes.
0: You handled that. Way different than I may have, and that many people may have, because we have never been in a situation where someone was thinking of taking their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in one situation one time that, you know, I've talked the person down, but it is a very hard issue because we've all thought about it, but what actually has to happen in that person's life to make them want to take that step and then for someone else to intervene and tell them it's not as bad as what you think it is, you know, you'll get through this. It's a very slippery and tough slope. Yes, it
1: is. Yes, it is. It absolutely is. And being on both sides of that conversation is is not something. I will say this: um, the encounter with the young man in the wheelchair is one thing, but to to hear someone say will you miss me if i die it is a horrible horrible question to answer because it's not something you put lightly and it's not something that you answer lightly and it's uh, i think what the message of this book is is that communication can happen and we can find a common language between two completely different types of persons you know cultures societies what have you and together we can move forward and together we can move forward in faith and realize that uh, with you know i don't want to get preachy or anything but realizing that you know faith in god is at the end of the day the only thing that is going to move us forward
0: yes well since you brought us way down but i'm so really sorry really bad. <laughs> i'm really sorry <laughs> no, I I i'm just kidding do that rick i'm just kidding um so the house that you live in now, um, you yes, and I had I talked imagine. previously and you have some things going on there. Do you wanna explain a little bit about what you have going on there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so where I've lived here now for just over six years and I just it's a very small house I rent. And it's, uh was at one time the guest house for a larger property, which has been subdivided up. It's very small and very private. I, I call it the cottage because literally a cottage and it has an incredible level of activity here which I've documented since I moved in which was in November of 2014 and it doesn't seem to stop <laughs> in fact I'll tell you this yesterday evening I just sat down for with my dinner and looked up and standing in the doorway was a figure Uh, of a tall, slender man, somewhat grayish in color, who I believe is the same figure that has appeared in the backyard on numerous occasions. And he was just there for a split second, and then he was gone. Uh, so I, I just sort of sat there and said, uh, okay, hey, how's it going? <laughs> what are you doing? And uh, went back to my dinner. Uh, there's, there's been an astonishing activity inside and outside, and at times the two um, appear to be related. Uh, one such example, and this just happened, as a matter of fact, uh, Thursday evening. No, so I'm sorry, Thursday morning, forgive me. I had awakened early, it was about 5am, I was working at my desk and on the front drive I heard a loud whistle. And at first I I wasn't really paying attention, I was focusing on my work, I I had a lot of work in. And then I heard it again, and I, who's whistling at 5 o'clock in the morning? And then I heard it again, and I realized nobody in their right mind or nobody has any business being on my front drive at 5 a.m. whistling. And I turned around in my chair to look out the front window and the the curtains were closed, the blinds were closed, there's plastic sheeting over the window because it's winter and it's not really well insulated. And I observed this amazing display of orbs of light. Appearing in my window, uh, gold and red, gold, white, uh, one after the other. Just you know, just almost like this. If I didn't know better, it I, it looked like a display of miniature fireworks. And I just watched it uh, for two to three minutes, and then I realized, you know, if something's outside, I need to know what it is. And I went to the front door and uh, very cautiously <laughs> opened it and uh, looked out. Didn't see a thing. Uh, you know. Got my flashlights, and shown it around, didn't see anything, and went back to work. So they were definitely em- emitting their own light source.
0: Yep. So yes. it, it's something that was physically there. What do you feel that is?
1: I, you know, well, let me say this first. I, In my reports, when I do document the thing, various things that happen here, I do try to research as much as I can what other persons have experienced or suggested, and it does seem that orbs are some, some type of, well, there's a lot of interpretations of what orbs are. Uh, when they appear inside the house, uh, visible to the naked eye, my understanding is that the different colors typically have different uh, representations. And golden orbs, I believe, are representations of uh, God, of divine love, or divine presence. Uh, The same with white or silver white orbs. Uh, Of course I've also seen red ones, I forget that red ones are also very spiritual. Uh, Green ones uh, apparently have different interpretations and certainly based on what I've seen here. Uh, sometimes those are quite negative, uh, but there, it's insofar as I uh, have realized th- th- it seems to be some type of spiritual communication. Someone is saying to me, and I, I would I, I prefer to think that this is God speaking, saying, hey, I'm just keeping an eye on you. Hey, I'm just letting you know I'm here.
0: So as far as the orbs or balls of light, you've never had anything necessarily negative, Oh yes, I have. Are oh, you have? Oh,
1: oh absolutely. Oh, 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 yeah. Let us let, let's, uh, let's talk about this one. I want to say it was either it was summer of 2017 or the summer of 2018. It was, and it was a very very hot night, and I uh, don't have central air conditioning, so I just have a window unit here in in the sitting room, and so I came into the sitting room and I just made up my bed on the couch, right underneath the air conditioner, and figured you know I'll have a nice cool breeze uh, throughout the night and it'll all be more comfortable. And I switched off the light and I lay down and I sort of looked up at the ceiling and and I just, I saw red orbs, uh, multiple red orbs. And I thought, wow, look at those. And then in addition to the red orbs, I saw green ones. And then in addition to those, I saw white ones. So this whole collection of orbs is floating about the room, red, green, white. And something felt very off. Something was wrong. And I remember watching these becoming more and more uncomfortable and more and and more uneasy. And that's usually not the case when they appear. I'm not usually frightened of them. And suddenly the room got very cold, like icy Cold. And I remember because this is the, it's the middle of the summer and Chicago summers are not uh, the most pleasant. Uh, the room was icy cold. The air conditioning was not on or it turned itself off. And I remember, I think the heat kicked on. The heat turned itself on. And I realized something very negative had come into the cottage. And I sat up in bed. And just as I did that, this tall figural shadow walked across the room, right in front of me, a floor to ceiling, a clearly some type of human type figure. And I, and I realized something had come into the house and I bolted for my bedroom, locked the door and started praying and just saying, God, please protect me, you know, please protect my house. And he did, um, a few minutes later, it got very cold again. And then suddenly everything was back to normal.
0: Have you had any experiences where something has touched you in the house or done something to you that made you very uncomfortable other than, like, visual? Have you had any kind of physical interaction?
1: Yes. I have awakened and gone into the bathroom and found scars on my body, uh, mainly on my legs. Uh, One particular uh, like you know puncture marks or one that was shaped like a like a five-pointed star and, and other uh cuts and scrapes which i know were not there the night before and there have been i have been touched in bed uh there was one at one instance where something pulled the covers up over me and then pulled them back like it was tucking me in uh i have had what you would uh, possibly define as poltergeist activity where you know, you know things have gone flying across the room uh, quite loudly <laughs> that's always a little bit uh, disconcerting when you, when you hear something go flying across the room in the middle of the night uh, to say the least
0: yes now I've not had any issues with poltergeist activity but at my house we've definitely heard the walking the banging of stuff, the crashing of stuff, going and looking for it. Can't find what caused the noises to where my dogs even notice it. And they're either, you know, they go to the steps to go upstairs and there's absolutely no one upstairs. But they sent something up there. But I've not had any kind of poltergeist, thankfully, Mm -hmm. um, activity in our house.
1: Hey there, I'm Tony Palacio, host of There Is Something Out There a new podcast dedicated to true crime, the mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. From the beautiful Pacific Northwest, home of Bigfoot and some of America's most notorious serial killers, I'm going to present to you the world's worst crimes, scariest monsters, strangest stories, tall tales, and totally terrifying testimonials. Join me as we discover that the noises you hear may not just be your imagination. There is something out there. You can find me wherever you get your favorite podcasts from, including Stitcher, Spotify, Player FM, Amazon, and Google Podcasts. Thank you.
0: Like what you're hearing so far? Make sure to never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. You and I had talked, uh, you had had something happen at the house where flowers were left in front of the house. Do you want to talk about that?
1: Oh, the plants. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, And again, this was, I want to say, twenty again, 2017, I think. And uh, what one thing I do want to mention too, Rick, before I talk about that is, as I've been documenting the different things happening uh, both inside and outside the cottage, I've noticed that they seem to ramp up at specific points throughout the year. And uh, August, September is a very active time here, uh, with what appears to be, a big, especially outside, with what appears to be Bigfoot-related activity. And it's my hope to document this further, if it, it is a Bigfoot, uh, and I, I believe it or not, I have a nickname for this guy. I call him Bigfoot Steve. Uh, he, he lives in the ravine behind the house, and uh, and a lot of times I've documented footprints and evidence of his presence outside the bedroom window, where he's stood there and watched me. Uh, but let's go back to the plants. And this was in September of 2017. I woke up at 4:30, and I was um, and this is another thing that is very curious. Uh, the car that I had at that time, it was a black Nissan Sentra and his name was Hudson or that's what I called him, attracted a lot of paranormal attention and I do not know why. And on September 22nd at 4.30, I observed huge flashes of bright white light almost the size of a basketball appearing around Hudson uh, as I literally sat there and watched and so I took out rolled out the trash bins at 6 15 the trash they pick up the trash pretty early in my neighborhood and at 9:15, I walked back out again to get you know the empty trash bins and as I was walking up the drive pretty much dead center there was a huge trampled down area of grass and laying on the grass were four very long uh, plant stalks uh, like a flowering plant i don't know i don't know what they are laying perfectly parallel side by side uh they had they'd certainly not been there that at 6:15, but in in that three hour span it appeared and they remained there Uh, for quite some time. I I don't remember when they finally disappeared, but I do recall speaking to uh, the gardeners when they came uh, maybe two or three days later, and I said, did you put these here? And I remember he gave me a very strange look, and he said, that wasn't us. And they wouldn't touch them, they wouldn't remove them, they wouldn't go near them. And I remember those those remained there for at least a month, if not two months and then finally we're one day we're gone now do you feel that was like an offering to you it's I, I don't know what else it could have been and if you recall Rick when you and I talked earlier about this you had made a really great suggestion that this might have been a hobo code sign uh, you know some, hope that something that hobos and, hobos and transients uh, will leave you know markers or messages but I I looked and looked and looked and I could not find anything with four parallel lines or you know, sticks laid like that. Uh, there's a series of three, but not four. And I don't know if it's the same meaning or not. I, I, I tr- Someone put them there in that span of three hours and I, if it was a Bigfoot, it's remarkable because it's my front yard. In a very exposed area, so for someone to do that in my front yard is quite uh, uh, shocking, to say the least. You know, who who would do that? You know, would you go into someone's yard at you know six o'clock in the morning and and leave flower arrangements for them? I wouldn't. But but, you know, there's a lot of
0: there's a lot of people out there that do a lot of strange things, so you never really know.
1: Right. The the best thing I can say is that. It's clearly an artificial arrangement. You know, the wind didn't blow it down. You know, we did not have, certainly did not have a storm that day. Someone pulled up those plants and laid and arranged them. Whether that was a Bigfoot or a human, I don't know. Was it little green men from Mars? You know, at this point, you know, all all bets are off. But what I do find interesting though is that the gardeners would not touch them. And I thought that was a very curious response.
0: So now I'm looking back through some of your books. You actually have two books called Beyond the Forest.
1: Yes. Do you want to talk a little bit about them? Yeah, let's talk about those. Uh, So as my blog is called Beyond the Forest. And the reason for that name, Rick, is... What I wanted to promote was for, you know, Bigfoot researchers and investigators is to look, you know, so many times people, for lack you know, pardon the pun, can't see the forest for the trees. You know, they, they look at, you know, they'll focus on one small detail or this, that, or the other thing and not see the whole picture. And so what I wanted to do was, you know, sort of stimulate this idea of looking beyond the forest. You know look at the big picture look at everything that's happening here don't just focus you know just because a tree falls in the forest does not mean that a bigfoot threw it down you know it's it sort of goes along the lines of let's eliminate all the other possibilities first before we say this is bigfoot activity or this is paranormal activity
0: absolutely rule out everything you possibly can until you can't anymore exactly then then you're left with something that you can't explain and is more likely supernatural or paranormal.
1: Exactly, it, or something that can't be explained. You know, now obviously a giant footprint is great physical evidence, but yeah, you know, I think part of what my struggle or challenge has been for myself is so much of what I document is very subjective. You know, and the feeling, you know, scopesthesia, we've all felt it, the feeling of being watched. and And once you've experienced that, You recognize it. It, it, It's uh, almost—it's almost overwhelming when you walk into the woods and you suddenly realize something's watching you. Uh, But how do you how do you document that? How how do you you achieve physical documentation? But anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. But uh, so I publish uh, my—I have three levels of report that I publish on my blog. And there's my field reports, which are my active investigations where I go out, you know, to look for something. Uh, usually that something invariably finds me. but that's another story. And so these books, the Beyond the Forest books, are really those collections of field reports from different years. And the two that are published right now are 2014 and 2015. And I am working on getting the rest of these reports published in book form. And, And for two reasons, really, is that for me, it's handy to have it out in a book that I can refer to instead of always having to get on a computer. And I just, it's great to have as a reference and say, here are my reports. Please feel free to read them, you know. And uh, people seem to respond very enthusiastically to them.
0: Did you want to go into any any stories from one of them books?
1: Or both of them? Oh, uh, yeah. Or... Let's talk about the 2014 book. And you'll notice on the cover, there's a photograph with... What appears to be a Bigfoot staring right back at the camera. Uh, So let's, yeah, so if you look at that book, the 2014 book, uh, there's a photograph on the cover, and that is Sable. That is the Bigfoot who lives at Area D. And this actually happened uh, April, I want to say April 18th, 2014. I was at Area D alone, and I was coming up the hill, and uh, because it was Spring, and in northern Michigan, spring can take a long time to get there. Uh, Everything was still sort of brown and bare. It wasn't really, there were really no leaves on the trees or anything like that. And as I was coming across this uh, hill slope, I suddenly looked up and there was this tall stump about 20 yards ahead of me. And next to the stump was this figure. And I remember looking at it, and thinking, that can't be what I think it is. There, there's no way I'm standing in plain sight looking at a Bigfoot. You, you, your mind just doesn't, you know, register this. And I said, but <laughs> I've got my camera and I'm going to take the, you know, picture of it. So I took uh, several pictures, actually. But again, just, you know, I really did not think anything of it. And I continued on my way and I came around the slope of the hill and I looked back up at the stump and I realized whatever had been standing next to it was no longer there. And I suddenly realized, holy cow, Batman, I think I photographed a Bigfoot. And I remember when I got home after that weekend, I, you know, loaded the pictures up to my computer and pulled them up. And zoomed in, and that's what was looking back at me. And I did send them to a colleague. I said, you know, this is a picture. I, I think this might be something, but you know, he he has a photo software and anal- photo analysis software, and he ran a bunch of different uh, processes on it. And he said, well, it's definitely something that has a heat signature. So it's definitely a living creature and it's definitely something with a human or simian type face. He said, I I think you photographed a Bigfoot. And there you have it. And uh, so that is my friend Sable.
0: Now, have you come across him any other times?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes, quite a few. Uh, Sadly, I've never gotten as good a picture of him as that one. But every time I go back now, uh, he lets me know where he is, and I usually get a glimpse of him somewhere.
0: So now, do you uh, feel do you feel they normally stay in around the same area?
1: Uh, Sable seems to stay in the area throughout the year. Uh, he does. Now I know that there are some theories about migration with Bigfoots, and I would certainly subscribe to that theory, especially here at the cottage, based on the seasonal behaviors that I've documented here. You know they ramp up in august september and then they taper off and then ramp up again in april and may so i would certainly suggest some type of migratory uh lifestyle uh and certainly there are uh migr. i would strongly believe that there are migratory bigfoots at area d but sable seems to be there year round he doesn't seem to go away and i think part of the reason is of the footprints that i documented there since 2008, so this is going on, what, uh, 13, good heavens, 13 years. Holy cow. Uh, if this is his footprint, he does appear to have uh, what's referred to as a club foot. So he may be lame in his left leg or have a deformed left foot.
0: That would make it more likely he would stick around as far as then migrating
1: exactly and I think that's part and I think that if this is if this this footprint which I have documented for many years at area D if this is his footprint then he's probably not able to travel very far so
0: these were all your experiences during your mm-hmm. investigations and that's happened you you pretty much go on investigations often uh, since 2007 yes mm-hmm has there anything that has surprised you that you found that you really didn't expect oh yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah let's let's uh i want to talk about really quickly rick the very first the two very first investigations i ever did and these were both in may 2007 in central ohio uh the first was at uh, salt fork state park outside of cambridge and the second was at Woodbury Wildlife Area, which is about an hour north of, of Salt Fork. And my very first investigation, we walked, there's a beautiful area at Salt Fork called Hossack's Cave, and we were walking, coming on the trail, going you know up towards the cave, and we literally had not gone 20 feet. And I turned to the people who were with me, and I said, we're being watched. Something is watching us. And they said, how do you know? And I said, I just know. And it it was an overwhelming impression of being watched. Um, I had no idea where it was coming from, but I knew it was there. Uh, The next day we went to Woodbury wildlife area, which again, and I was with a colleague and we were walking, um, coming around the trail and skirting this, there's a area there, believe it's called Bigfoot. Uh, pond. And there's a researcher in the area, a gentleman named Don Keating, wonderful man. And he had actually filmed what appeared to be a white Bigfoot crossing the road. So we thought we'd look around that area and see what we might uh, discover. And then we were going down the trail and I, we heard loud stomping footsteps, keeping time with our own. And I turned to my colleague and I said, you know what, I'm feeling very uncomfortable. We're heading into deep forest. I'm really starting to get somewhat apprehensive. I I think we should head back to the car or at least get into a more open ground." And he said, okay, and we both turned around at the same time and standing on the trail, not 20 yards behind us, was an enormous, large, black-haired, adult male Bigfoot. And he was mad. And I remember, I remember hearing my heart beating in my chest, looking at this thing. And I remember saying to my colleague, do you see what I see? And he said, yes. And I said, is it what I think it is? And he said, yes. I said, should we take a picture of it? (laughs) And he said, and I, you know, My hand was, I remember my hand shaking as I was reaching into my pocket for my camera and praying that I would not drop it. And I took a picture. My colleague also took a picture with his camera. And I went to put the camera back in my pocket. And I looked down for just a split second. When I looked back up, the creature was gone. And I said to my colleague, let's get the hell out of here. And I I remember this was the first time I realized that one could feel very, very strong emotions when one encountered a Bigfoot and one has, you know, there are numerous reports of this where hunters especially will come face to face with a Bigfoot in the woods and become very emotional and very uh, overwrought and in some cases start crying. And this is what happened to me. We got into an open field, and I burst into tears. And I remember saying, we have to get out of here. We have to get out of here. And uh, to this day, Rick, I will tell you, I have never in my life been as frightened as I was in that moment when I saw it standing on the trail.
0: I can imagine walking into seeing something you're looking for and not
1: really expecting to see, and there Mm -hmm. it is. Exactly. And not only there it is, but it's between you and the car (laughs) and it's not, and it, it, it's not happy and it's not friendly. And it, it, it was, it was a very, very tense moment.
0: You know, I've heard kind of different stories. Some people say they're very intimidating. Mm -hmm. Other people are basically saying that, you know, they never once tried to do anything to us, Mm -hmm. but they make themselves known to you basically to back off. You know, this is my area. Basically, I don't want any trouble. I personally have not heard of anyone getting attacked. I mean, everything that I've heard from people that have had experiences is more or less to scare them away. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never personally heard any stories of, you know, other than getting hit by pebbles, not necessarily getting hit by rocks, but, you know, they'll get hit by pebbles or something, and, and it's more or less a warning to... You know, get out of my way, stay away yes. from us. So, I mean, I can understand the fear, but at the same time, it's the accounts that I've heard; they're not they're not super aggressive. I think, unless they have to be. Right,
1: right, and I, and I don't, I, I do recall reading a couple of reports of, I, I believe these were hunters in colorado or you you know somewhere out in the rockies where they experienced what they thought or would appear to be a bluff charge where the creature rushed at them but then stopped and they were able to you know to get get themselves out of there rather quickly
0: right and that's pretty much what gorillas do yes you know, mm-hmm. they'll do bluff charges because they, they really don't want to get into it with another gorilla
1: Right, right, exactly.
0: But they basically puff their chest out and they want to make themselves bigger than what they are and try to scare the other one.
1: Which, you know, which brings up a a fascinating topic for discussion is if these are dimensional creatures, why would they take on the form of gorillas or, you know, basically a higher primate? You know, if they're dimensional, why wouldn't they take on the form of a human if they have the capacity that is a very good question you know why would they live their lives in such a manner that you know would would limit them to interaction with humans um and i quite honestly that literally just occurred to me just now why would you do that if you're a dimensional creature you could i would reasonably think assume any form you wanted I
0: don't have the answer to that. And I don't know that anybody
1: has the answer to that. Yeah. I I just, it just suddenly popped into my head. And the reason this popped into my head was I was having a conversation the other day with someone about angels and in the Bible, as you know, angels are not described as having wings, even though in our, you know, the last 2000 years in art and such, we've always depicted them as having wings because angels are God's messenger. They travel between heaven and earth, and so on and so forth. So the idea of them flying is probably what gave rise to them as having wings. But in the Bible, they're never described as having wings. They're presented as regular human beings. What's interesting, though, is that they're immediately recognized as angels. They're, there's never a mistake that they're just, you know, people. Whoever sees them understands immediately these are angels they are not regular persons so if angels can manifest before us as humans it just makes me wonder who who are these bigfoot creatures and where are they coming from that they have to manifest as you know primates i'm at a loss for words yeah i am too <laughs> <laughs> this is this is something I, i'm going to make some notes on this rick and, and think about this a little bit further i just i Yeah, because it it goes back to, are these physical beings or dimensional beings? Right. And as you said, you know, we we almost do need a body, a physical body to really study this. And uh, it's just because we don't, we don't know, you know, and I do recall a conversation several years ago with someone talking about the theory of dark matter, that uh, if this is simply a shift in energy that could explain why they are able to disappear so quickly and vanish without a trace. And you
0: would think that if it is something that's dimensional that maybe you're projecting, um, Mm -hmm. it would be different for each person and people wouldn't see the same thing
1: all throughout the country. Exactly, exactly. But the reports are consistent and the behaviors are consistent. And do you know what it reminds me of? Yeah, this is a pretty wild stretch, but do you remember the Kevin Costner film, Field of Dreams? Yep. And I'm just thinking, you know, those baseball players manifested as physical, real persons, but were able to walk into the cornfield and go back to wherever it was they came from without leaving a trace. But while they were here, they were flesh and blood people. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure where we go
0: from here on finding out, you know, why they would be bipedal, hairy, tall animals, as opposed to just being a normal-looking person.
1: We could go down that rabbit hole for days.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Maybe we better change the topic. <laughs> well, okay. So let's
0: go a little different route, because this, okay. this is this is along the same thing. I noticed on one of your your WordPress encounters you had some dog man encounters yes mm-hmm. so again what are they as opposed to bigfoot it, it seems like there's very there, there's similarities between the two yes. with the exception of one looks like a dog or a wolf mm-hmm. standing on two legs walking yep. around but yet and i know that's dog man's big in Michigan. But Bigfoot is fairly big in Michigan as well. Yes. So to me, that would be two separate species of something. Or if you go dimensionally, why are there two, two separate types of animals that
1: are similar? Right, right, right. I, I think, you know, well, you know the dogmen, we certainly have them in Michigan and I've had my experiences in Michigan and in Wisconsin and um, in Indiana of all places. I think the difference, and this is again, I'm uh, one of my, Linda Godfrey who I'm I'm sure you're familiar with Mm -hmm. um, has been researching Dogman for many years and she is a wonderful researcher and investigator. And not only that, she's uh, one of my very good friends. And we have done quite a lot of investigations together. And she has proposed a theory, and I hope I'm not present I hope I'm presenting this correctly, because I do agree with her on a lot of this, is that the dogman is a spiritual creature that has been created or summoned into existence by the indigenous peoples of the upper Midwest.
0: So basically they are Talpas
1: very yes the same concept as a tulpa yes absolutely or quite honestly now that you mention it have you ever looked at a golem no google it
0: i mean i I know (laughs) i know i've
1: heard them heard of them um they have a remarkable amazing resemblance to bigfoot
0: and that is again something that that you feel is projected from native american people
1: no, the golem is actually a Jewish invention. Okay. It's an ancient Jewish creature that is created or summoned uh, for for various things. And they are big, lumbering, humanoid, bipedal giants. And if you look at a picture of one, there's a, there's a famous statue of one. It looks remarkably like a Bigfoot. And if the golem is a tulpa and if the dogman is a tulpa who's to say that bigfoot isn't a tulpa that got loose
0: i i understand that but as far as tulpas go here's where i have a little bit of questionability on it
1: Mm -hmm.
0: so and and i've i've had this you know argument not necessarily argument but conversation with other people if oh, Talpas are truly able to be brought into existence because of what we feel mm-hmm. so why would Santa Claus and like the Easter Bunny why would they not be brought into reality simply because there's so many kids around the world that believe and want that to be true so my my thing with Talpas I'm not saying that can't happen and and you know people have said well Have you ever heard some of the scary stories about, you know, the real Santa Claus or the real Easter Bunny? And, you know, it's like everything else we hear. Mm -hmm. We have no proof that any of that actually has existed. We don't have a body. And that's going to be the ultimate proof of are are these things real? Do I feel that we're ever going to get one? Probably not. Not that it's not available or the ability to get them. But Mm -hmm. I know, like, just like with Bigfoot. You know, people have had them in their crosshairs and they couldn't yep. pull the trigger because it looked so human. Yep. Do yes. you want to be the person pulling the trigger only to find out that the DNA of that thing is partially human?
1: Mm-hmm. You'd, you'd be in a hideous amount of trouble.
0: But it's the same way with, with the Tulpas. I'm not saying that it's not possible because there's so many things out there that, that happen now that I would say that ne- there's no way that's possible, but yet people see stuff and feel stuff. And unless you've been in that situation where you've seen it or you have felt it, you may not believe. Right. Um, but talpas, for me, you know, like Slender Man and stuff like that. A lot of people say, you know, there's so many people out there that believe it. They, they believe it into existence, but that again, if people believe things into existence, I've never seen Santa Claus actually flying across the sky on Christmas Eve, you know, right. delivering presents. And millions and millions of kids believe that every year.
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: So I'm not sure how I stand on the whole Tulpa phenomenon.
1: It, you know what, Rick? That's a really great perspective on it as well, because you're, you're absolutely right. Why Why should Santa Claus not be a physical person? You know, who lives at the North Pole, who delivers presents on Christmas Eve. And I would venture to say, and this is just, ver- just thinking of this really quickly, perhaps because there are so many versions of him, there is no one correct version, or at least no well-defined single version of him, that there is such a... Dem- the creation of that character is so diverse and so widespread that it almost cannot exist physically because there's just too many pieces or too many variations.
0: So that's a very interesting way of thinking about it, and, and I haven't really thought about it like that.
1: And whereas if you take, sort, let's say, take the dogman phenomenon, if the dogman is a tulpa summoned into being by the indigenous peoples, it's a limited range it's a limited scope it you know based on what linda godfrey has researched these were summoned to guard the burial lands and the sacred grounds and and that was their role but with the coming of the white man the desecration of mounds the desecration of burial sites released them from their bond which is why they roam the upper Midwest, and are quite uh, vicious, nasty uh, creatures, which you really don't want to mess with. And, uh, I, and I wonder if the Bigfoot is a similar being. Uh, some type of tulpa summoned into being for a specific reason. For example, let's go back to the Odawa, you know, Bogwe Janini, who was created by the, Well, no, that's a different aspect of it, so. That's not the same thing. But the Golem is the same thing, where a Golem is a large, bigfoot-like creature summoned into being to to help man, and then gets loose or has a mind of its own and decides to do whatever it wants. Because they're 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 not automatons. They're created with intelligence and uh, you know knowledge and understanding. And if if the idea of a tulpa that got... Because even there's there's horror stories of tulpas which get loose and uh, can really be quite dangerous. And and I will say this in my own experience, paranormal experiences, uh, that doorway between the physical world and the spiritual world is a very dangerous thing to open. It's not something you undertake lightly.
0: So speaking of dogmen... Mm-hmm. Would you like to share any of your
1: encounters? Sure, I'd be happy to. And uh, I do want to preface this, though. It took me a long time to understand that what I was seeing was a dog man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know, here, you know, and this was all back in 07, 08, 09. And, you know, I didn't know what a dog man was, I'd never heard of it. I had no idea. You know, and I was. You know when I was at I went to graduate school at Notre Dame in South Bend, Indiana, and I rented a small house, very similar to the cottage here. And every night this white wolf, standing on its hind legs, would be outside on my front porch looking in the window through the front door. That's very creepy. It was extremely creepy. And it, it never threatened me. It it never attempted to come in the door, thank God. But it was clearly not a positive, friendly creature, and I just believe it. I just got used to it, and just oh yeah, that's the. I called it the white werewolf because I didn't know what else to call it, and it was not leaning up against the door. It was standing outside the door on its hind legs, and it
0: never tried to get in. It just peered in at you. Yeah,
1: you know, just stood there and looked through the top part of the door that where the glass was and just glaring, you know, just this evil glare, like this angry glare. And uh, and I, I look back now, this was 1990, 1991, so this was 30 years ago, and I, I would venture to say that was probably my first experience with the dogman. But I mean, back then, nobody had heard of this. You know, I, I had no idea what it was. You know, I, ca- I called it the White Werewolf. I mean, what else would you call it? And uh, so then, but in 2009, I was up in Northern Michigan and we were at someone's house for a party and it was quite late and I had gone outside for some fresh air and it was quite a remote location. There was the street ran on one side and then there was a gravel street that ran alongside sort of coming to a corner. And I remembered uh, as we came up to the house that afternoon saying to my friend who was in the car with me, gosh, what are those gargoyle things? And he said, what gargoyle things? I said, we just passed two gargoyles. And he looked at me and he said, what are you talking about? And I said, there's gargoyles back there. You know, like you have on, you know, Gothic cathedrals. You know, the, the water spout creatures that are very fierce looking. And he said, there's no gargoyles around here. I said, well, I just saw two of them in the woods. There was one on either side of the road. And he said, no, there, no, no. I said, okay, fine so that night i'm outside in the front yard having some, just getting some fresh air and i hear uh, footsteps something coming up the graveled road uh very loud clearly bipedal and there was something about them that made me realize they were not human and i remember my friend coming out and saying what is that and i said i don't know but I i don't like it and i remember quite a few people had come outside by this point and we were all sort of just standing there and out from the woods came this thing and it was very it was a what appeared to be a wolf walking on its hind legs it had gleaming yellow eyes and sort of golden brown fur it was very nasty um, it it didn't it was coming up the road it never came onto the property but, but at that point um, I, I still don't know why I thought of this or how I thought of this I literally put my hand out towards it and I said you will not come any closer and I envisioned this sphere or this dome of white light covering the house and the property, protecting us. And it stood there, probably not more than two or three seconds, but at the time it felt like an eternity. And then it dropped to all fours and ran off into the woods. And I remember collapsing onto the ground. I was very ill, very weak. And I I remember vomiting. Quite badly, uh, several times. I was very dizzy, and uh, I said to my friend, "You know what? Maybe it's time for us to leave." And he said, "Okay." He was the designated driver, so he was not had not been drinking. And I remember that uh, just before we left, I you know spoke to the, my host, and I said, "I'm I'm sorry about what I've just done on your backyard, you know, in your grass." He said, "Don't worry about it. I'll hose it down, you know, in the morning." And I said, "You know, I I don't know what that strange creature was." But I I just I'm I don't know what that was, and he didn't even blink. He said, "Oh, he comes around here all the time. He likes to play with my dogs."
0: <laughs> I don't know that I would want my dogs out there playing with that.
1: Yeah, and, and and my host was had no, didn't even blink. You know, oh he and my host had at the time raised German Shepherds. I remember he had two of them. And I, and I was thinking, wow, you know, let's that thing come over and play with the dogs? That just seemed a little strange to me. And, but uh, then, again. You know, hey, it's northern Michigan. What are you going to do? <laughs> so that was, and, I, and again, at the time, I had no idea what this was. I'd never heard of a dog man. I'd certainly never heard of the Beast of Bray Road. And there it was, you know, right in front of me. That's pretty wild. Finally said to me, well, Sanjay, that's a dog man. And I said, Oh, you mean the Michigan dog, man? And they said, yes. And I said, Oh, is that what it looks like? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what it looks like. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so there you So yes, two, two of my dog, man, stories or encounters.
0: All right, Sanjay, thank you very much for coming on the show. I don't want to make you tell too many more of your stories. If people are interested, they can check out your books. Um, you're welcome to come back anytime you want uh, and tell more of your stories. You also have a WordPress blog and Facebook page. Do you want to let everybody know where they can find you?
1: Oh yes, absolutely, Rick. Thank you. The uh, my blog page is beyondtheforestblog.wordpress.com, and all of just about all of my reports are published there. My reports from the cottage here all of my field investigation reports and then also what I call my encounter reports where I've uh, had a, an experience with something that was not part of an active investigation. It's just something that happened or something I literally encountered and uh, made, I tried to document it as best as I could. And so again, that's beyondtheforestblog.wordpress.com. And then if uh, people would like to look me up on Facebook. It's uh, Beyond the Forest, Beyond the Forest Radio, Uh, and that's my Facebook page uh, here, and uh, people can access and get in touch with me uh, there as well.
0: And again, they can find your books on Amazon, and also they can access your books via your
1: blog as well, correct? Yes, uh, although there's a uh, on my blog page, there's a tab marked books, and all of my currently published available books are there, uh, including my latest book, Tales of the Night Watchman, uh, my cookbook, What Tastes Good. My uh, coloring book, Bigfoot ABC, and my memoir of my life in northern Michigan called The Undiscovered Country. And then very quickly, I do want to add that my new book, Stories I Never Told You, uh, will actually be available on Amazon in the next couple of weeks here. Uh, Knock on wood by mid-March, but definitely by the end of March uh, will be available on Amazon.
0: Well, I would definitely love to have you back on if you'd like to come back on and, and tell some more of your experiences. Um, maybe when your your new book comes out, we can have you come on, plug it some more, and, and give us some more of your experiences.
1: I, I would love to do that, Rick. That would be terrific. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you so much for wanting to be a part of this podcast.
1: Thank you, Rick. I, I really enjoyed uh, doing this with you today. I really appreciated the conversation.
0: Me too. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thank you, Rick. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Stuff of Nightmares podcast. Thanks for listening. If you would like to find out more about today's topic, you can check out our sources in the show notes on Facebook and our website at www.thestuffofnightmares.show. Like, share, and follow us on Facebook, as well as subscribe and give us a positive review on your favorite podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have an experience that you would like to share with the show, you can either email me to admin at the stuff of show, or message me through Facebook. I am your host, Rick Ness. I will see you next episode where I hope to find out what keeps you up at night.